Well, let me also welcome you. Thank you for coming to be with us tonight. We spend the remainder of our, of our service uh, coming before the Word of God. And we do so in the expectation that every time we read the Word of God, we hear God's voice. So let's do that now. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And for the fifth time in quick succession in our evening service, we're going to read these verses from verse 1 down to verse 16. Uh, And for the final time, for a while anyway, I'm sure. Ephesians 4, let's read from verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. This is the word of God. In 2012... The supermarket giant Tesco made an announcement. They announced that the company was predicted to make four billion, or just short of four billion pounds, before the year was out. Four billion pounds. And the response to this news was for the value of the company to decrease by 15%. Doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, what could be a more healthy marker for a business than that it makes literally billions of pounds? Well, the problem was that just under four billion was what they had made the year before. Investors were expecting growth. And that's the world that these sorts of companies live in, isn't it? Growth is everything. They always have to be growing. Now, right at the outset, I confess, the church is not to be equated to a business that's been floated on the stock exchange. It is to be driven by far more enduring things than money, though you'd be surprised how many churches are driven by that not very enduring thing called money. 
But here is where the similarity lies. A church that is not growing is one that should cause alarm. So as we've been working through this series in Ephesians 4, we've seen several, several distinguishing marks of how the church should function. We've seen Christ-given leadership. We've seen that every member of the church is uniquely gifted. Every member of the church depends on all the other members. That the church is to be firmly grounded in the doctrines of the faith and in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And tonight, as we come to this final part in our series, we'll see that all of those things work together to produce a church that is always growing. Always growing. And we can be sure that the church is to be always growing because, and this is really my first point, that the the church is not yet what it will be. The church is not yet what it will be. And we're told this uh, in uh, our passage that we've just read. If you see in verse 13, the destination of the church is the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's at the end of verse 13. Now, there is a sense, of course, in which the church is already everything that it will be. It is the case that the church is the body of Christ, and it always will be. Christ is the head of the church. The union that the church has with our Savior is as secure and sure now as it ever will be. The church is God bringing together Jew and Gentile in Christ to form this one new man, as Paul put it in chapter 2 of this letter. In chapter 3, Paul tells us that the church it is, the, is the manifold wisdom of God displayed to heavenly powers. But the point is that Paul says, yes, that is your status in Christ. This is the privileged position that the church has. Therefore, be the church. And how many times have we emphasized that as we've gone through Ephesians? This is how Paul builds up his argument. He says, this is the great privilege it is to be the church. Now be the church. So imagine somewhere like Ephesus, where this letter was sent. Paul enters that city, and you find in the book of Acts, uh, Luke records for us there, that as Paul normally did, he went and first of all he preached in the synagogues. You find there he was given three months before he had to withdraw from the synagogue. Such was the opposition that was rising. And he went and preached in a public hall in the city. And we're told he did that for two years. No one was in any doubt what the gospel was. And a number of people became followers of Christ. Some were Jews. Some were pagans who had even been engaged in witchcraft. And Luke records for us the story of how they burned their books of magic spells. This is the beauty of the gospel though, isn't it? That people of all sorts of backgrounds... Sinners of all shape and color, they are brought together to the same Savior. Together, they each trust that the Lord Jesus' life and death and resurrection was for them. And by faith, they trust in him and they become united to him. And in that moment that they do that, they become part of the church. All of the spiritual privileges of being the church belonged to them right there and then. Now, no doubt they would have times where they struggled to bridge the gap between Jew and Gentile. Nevertheless, their status was that they were one in Christ. They were the body of Christ, no doubt. He was their head. 
But you see, the church had to grow. It had to grow to visibly be what Christ has pronounced them to be. So I think if you were to look at the church in Ephesus uh, during Paul's stay there, and then you were to go back and visit it a number of years later, I think those deep truths would be a little bit more obvious. Certainly more obvious than they were on day one. Because the church has been growing in maturity, progressing towards the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mean, that destination will not be finally reached until the day that Christ returns. But maybe think of it like this, like a married couple. On the day that they exchange their vows and all that, they enter into an unbreakable union. Right there and then, that union of marriage is as true as it will be on the day one of them, on the last day before one of them dies. And it can be difficult to get used to. So on that first day, that union is real, but it can be difficult to work out the differences to make that union a reality. And that union is as real then as it will be 40 years later. And you'll know couples like this, that 40 years later, they've become so united that they actually end up looking like each other. I might even see some of that as I look out here today. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, He reassured them with the confidence that he who began a good work in you, and that's you plural, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or the way that Paul will go on to speak in Ephesians 5, um, when he addresses husbands in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is sanctifying his church. And on that day when he returns, that work will be completed. The church is always growing until that day when it is presented to Christ spotless. And I think the point of growth here, uh, in particular in Ephesians 4, is not growth in numbers, though of course that is true as well. The church will always be growing in numbers till the day Christ returns. But it is actually growing in depth, growing in maturity. That groundedness that we spoke about last week. And so you see that the destination for the church can be summed up quite simply. Look how Paul puts it in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's the destination. It will grow into Christ. What a helpful reminder that is for us. Together, church, this is where we're heading. This is why you'd find in the letter to the Hebrews, for example, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus because that's the destination. That's the goal. And so whatever your greatest ambitions are for the church that you belong to, whether that might be ambitions about style of music, ambitions about organizational structure, ambitions about the format of services, ambitions about the size of church, ambitions about church plants even, 
We must always make sure that they take their contours from this ultimate destination. The church is always to be growing into the fullness of the stature of Christ. But there's something else here, and instinctively this is strange. Um, We see in verse 15 that, yes, the church's destination is the fullness of Christ, but then in verse 16, we see that the journey to get there is through Christ. You see that from whom, from whom the whole body grows. He is the destination. He is the means by which we get there as well. It's the Lord Jesus himself who will supply everything the church needs to make it home. And that's already been evident in this chapter. It's, it's the Lord who provided this needed unity of the Spirit. It's the Lord who's given grace to each believer according to the measure of his gift. It is Christ who gives nourishment to the church by giving to her those who will minister the word of God. In the same way that Christ is the cornerstone for the temple that God is building in the church, so too he is the source of the growth of the church. In a very real sense, when Christ said that he will build his church, he meant that he would personally do it. And it is a great corrective for us when often there is pressure applied, particularly when we can, we can feel small and weak in a secular society and we can see that uh, evangelicalism is uh, to, to those who look on with, purely, with eyes purely to the numbers that evangelicalism is a dying breed. And it brings pressure to uh, try and jump to new church growth models or thinking that There is something other than what the Lord has given that will be the key to opening the door to church growth. Let's not forget, the key to the growth of the church is a growth that deepens the faith of the believers. This is the focus of Paul's attention here. I mean, of course, Paul is committed to the work of outreach and evangelism, but there is a sense that actually when a church and when believers prioritize their depth, well, what inevitably comes from that is that we become more obedient to the commands of Christ. We become more more committed to being a follower of Christ. And so when he tells us to to go into all all the world and to make disciples, then... You know, when our, as our faith deepens, we take those sorts of challenges that bit more seriously. The growth here that Paul uh, looks for is one where the church more and more reflects its status in Christ. Since the church is not yet what it will be, then, and this is my second point, the church is never static. It is never static. And we see that in the church's design. Put simply, the body is designed for growth. That's what Paul emphasized for us in verse 16. And verse 16 really is a summary of of almost all of what he's spoken about so far in this chapter. Where he gives again this, this image of the body with its parts and its interconnectivity and the necessity of that for the body to grow. It's worth saying that Of course, Paul's not endeavoring to give us an anatomy lesson. Some people have tried to pick over the specifics of what he says and 
and they say things like, well, you know, ligaments don't have any power. Why would he suggest that? And, you know, all of these things which uh, we're not supposed to take from this a strict description of the human body. But certainly, I think he more than gets across his point. He says, how is the body made up? It's joined together. With its parts being held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Such is the design that when every part fulfills its role, the body grows. And we can relate to this. I think of how you see this in children especially. They grow. They get bigger. They get stronger. And it's not that they have to go to the gym and train to get stronger, do they? No, the body is designed to grow. So that when all the parts are connected up properly, there are the appropriate levels of of resistance inbuilt to cause the muscles and the bones to grow and strengthen. In the same sort of way, Paul tells us that the Lord has given the church everything that it needs for growth. So long as all the parts stay in the right place and do what they were designed to do. Uh, There's some discussion about whether we're to see a distinction between the the parts of the body and the joints, or maybe if you've got the NIV, it says ligaments, I think. Um, It is possible, though only possible, that the joints is a reference to those gifted individuals in verse 11, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But whether he's being specific or not, the principle remains the same. The diversity of the body is required if the church is going to be the church. And this puts an additional responsibility on every Christian. Because in a sense, I could think, well, if if, if I'm not that enthusiastic about my faith, if I'm not really fussed about playing my part in helping the body of Christ and serving the body of Christ, then who does that harm other than myself? Well, Paul tells us here that if you're thinking in those terms, you're forgetting about the nature of the church. The other members of the body are counting on you, and you need them. And in fact, the other members of the body are counting on you to help them, as well as the rest of the church, to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So everyone is harmed when members of the body are dysfunctional, Or even worse, when they're missing. Now I realize that on Sunday evenings, there's a tendency to preach to the choir. So rather than ask if you are a dysfunctional part of the body, I want to ask a different question. Who's missing? Who is missing? Who has perhaps slipped off the radar out of our view to the periphery of church life somewhere. Who has left an empty seat and isn't filling one anywhere else? Because these are the implications. If we need every member, then here is a precious, precious ministry in the life of the church. It is one that seeks out those who have fallen away. It is one that builds up those who are beginning to be discouraged in their service for the Lord. Because it's those sorts of ministries that the growth of the church is counting on. And so because of these things, really the big application of this is clear, isn't it? Keep on growing. 
keep on growing. This isn't the first time Paul has done this. You look in verse 15, he uses this deliberately inclusive language. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Uh, back in verse 14, he did the same thing about saying, we, uh, um, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. This always growing is something that the Apostle Paul saw himself being part of as well. Though he is an apostle, though he has received revelation from Christ, he too needs to keep on growing with his other with his brothers and sisters. And this is, this is all over the New Testament. I want to take a moment just to show you a couple of examples that stood out to me. The first example comes from Paul's letters to the Thessalonian church. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul had founded this church. You'd find that in Acts 17. And it seems that within a month, he had had to leave the city rather hastily. Such was the intensity of the opposition. And 1 Thessalonians is Paul's first letter back to this church. And as he does in his letters, he opens up with thanksgiving. So if you look at verse 2, what is he thankful for about this church? He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is, I think maybe if you have the NIV, it brings this out. The idea is he's thankful for their work inspired by their faith, for their labor inspired by their love. You get the idea? Their faith, their love, their hope were very evident in the church. When Paul thought about this church, those were the things that came to mind. Yet despite this, look at what he goes on to say. If you go over to chapter 4, you see how he again, he's going to confirm what he's given thanks for in verse 9. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I mean, this is the same, you see this pattern a couple of times. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 4. Um, finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. You see the pattern? It's as if Paul says to them, guys, you're doing well. You're a great source of encouragement and thanksgiving for me. Keep on doing the things you're doing more and more. Keep on growing, is what he's saying to them. We're not finished here. Turn over to Second Thessalonians. And bear in mind that he rejoiced and he gave thanks for their, for their faith, for their love, for their hope. And in Second Thessalonians 1 verse 3, what does he say? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. 
And this is the remarkable thing. Even in areas of obvious strength in the life of the church, Paul's encouraged to see them growing in that. And he urges them. The things you're strong at, Thessalonian church, do them more and more. But one more example for you. This time from Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy. First Timothy. And here Paul's writing to an individual, namely a man called Timothy, who seems to be serving as a pastor in the church, probably in Ephesus. And Paul gave Timothy some specific things to look out for, certain things to embrace, which we don't have time to go into. And once he's laid those out, we pick up 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. Paul says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Timothy was gifted. I mean, that's explicitly mentioned in the text there. Don't forget, this is the guy who's done a lengthy internship with the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who Paul trusted sufficiently to send to this church to shepherd it. It would be no exaggeration to say Timothy was a giant in the early church. And yet, what does Paul say? Timothy, always be growing. Let your progress be seen by everyone. And surely it is only as every member of the church takes this principle seriously that the whole church grows and will indeed always be growing. I think the implications of this come to every one of us. It's the reminder that every one of us is always a work in progress until the day the Lord returns and completes our salvation. That is the case if you have been a Christian for one week or for 50 years. That applies if you are a teenager or if you're an elder in the church. The challenge is the same. Keep on growing. Growing in the gospel like we saw last week. Growing as you go deeper into the truths of the faith. Growing in your relationship with Christ. That as we hear the word of Christ, it it, it brings this response of worship and obedience from us. But even more specifically... And perhaps especially in this context of the body of Christ and every member fulfilling its role to build up the body of Christ, there's a responsibility to keep on growing in the things that we're doing as we serve the body of Christ. To keep on developing, to become better equipped to use the gifts that Christ has given us, to make progress in using our gifts. So let's think of some examples. Uh, Maybe you're here tonight and you are a teacher in the church in some way. Perhaps in Sunday school or in Sunday services or in BSF. Some other setting. 
here's the facts of the matter. However good and gifted you may be, however long you've been doing it, this challenge applies. Keep on growing. Don't settle. Keep making progress. And not just apply to teachers, there are are ways for us in in all our areas of service to to grow and to develop. What are some of the ways we do that? Most fundamental of all is we learn from others, right? We learn from others. We seek out feedback from other individuals who we can trust. We go to training events because we don't think that we can't improve. This would apply in many other areas. Maybe you're a musician. There is a real value in making progress in how you play that instrument, in how you lead the church in that way. Maybe you chair services. Maybe you lead a Bible study group. Or maybe, as we've been hearing about today, there's that sense of feeling inadequate to share the gospel. The answer isn't just to throw our hands up and say, well, I'll never be good at that. It is to take seriously God's word and say, well, how do I make progress? And for one last time, Confident Christianity, 1st of June, is a day of helping us to make progress in how we share the gospel with others. Keep on growing is Paul's message here. That's the mark of a healthy church. It's always growing. Keep making progress. Be confident as we do that together, the church grows more and more into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now, as I close, I want to make one final point. There's a phrase that bookends these 16 verses that we've spent five slash six weeks considering. And that is the phrase, in love. You find it in verse 2, and you find it in verse 15, and in verse 16. In verse 2, Paul says, in, with all humility, um, walk in a manner worthy, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. In verse 15, we're, we're not to be like those who uh, peddle false doctrine, who are, who are motivated by um, deceitfulness. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow. And as the body functions at the end of verse 16, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. The only way the church can be the church is when it is driven by this greatest of motives. In particular, in how Christians relate to one another. If our service is not driven by a sense that the needs of others are more important than my needs, if it's not driven by the sense that I'm serving someone else rather than serving myself, then we've missed this mark. And it's possible to be very active in the local church and for it not to be done in love. And we spent some time thinking about that uh, two or three weeks ago. Our motives matter. For the church is most recognizably the church when it is evident how much Christ's followers love one another. It was the Lord Jesus himself who said that would be one of the chief identifying marks of his followers, wasn't it? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And so let us never miss 
this foundational way of how we look to others. And of course, we only love because we've first been loved by the Lord himself. I hope that this series has been an encouragement to you, above all, to show that a healthy church is not something that is out of the reach of God's people. Because we have the promises of God's word that Christ gives the church everything it needs for health and for growth. It's not found in programs, though many are helpful. It's found in each member playing their part as they depend upon the Lord to help the church grow, as they depend upon the Lord to serve one another and to always be growing until he comes. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you for the church. Thank you that the church is the body of Christ. Thank you for the assurance that our, our union with Christ is as, as vital as that and as unbreakable as that. And we pray, Father, that as we've considered the marks of a healthy church, we pray, Father, that we would overwhelmingly be encouraged, encouraged that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised to do this work of building his church. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be willing. Help us to be those that so love the Lord Jesus that we want to give our lives for him in service. That we recognize that our brothers and sisters are those that just like us, the Lord Jesus shed his blood and died for and that he loves We pray that as we reflect on his love for the church, we too would have a love for God's people. Father, as we've thought about those members of the body who perhaps have lost their enthusiasm, who perhaps we have no idea where they are or what they're doing, Father, we, we, we pray that you would give us opportunities to reach out to those to build up those who are discouraged, to bring again the gospel to those who have gone cold. And Father, help us to do that out of a a conviction that they need this, but that for the church to function and to keep on growing as Christ has designed it to be, every member needs to be in place. So Father, help us to be a church. Help us to be a church that looks to you. Help us to be a church that is always growing. And may this continue to be a church that grows more and more into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And we ask it to your glory in Jesus' name.